Well, we get to the chapter here where Joseph's brothers arrive and they bow at his feet. And we see that in verse 9, we're going to see that Joseph will remember his dreams. Because he's seen his brothers, they're bowing. So he remembers. So tonight we begin to see what these two dreams were that Joseph had. That we started in the life of Joseph with. We're not going to finish it all tonight, but we will begin to, to see what these dreams are about. And again, to review with you the four levels of understanding, because that comes into big play here tonight. The four levels are, there's a flesh level. I know what Scripture states. All I understand is what it says. Like these people go around and they say, judge not lest ye be judged. They have absolutely no idea what God is teaching there. They just quote the words and come up with their own understanding of it. There's a mind or soul or a reasoning level where I look at several areas of Scriptures and reason together what they mean. You'll see the Pharisees the Sadducees, the lawyers in Jesus' day did a lot of this. It's not a spiritual level of understanding. It's a reasoning level of understanding. Then the higher levels, there's the wisdom level where the Holy Spirit shows me how to live what I understand. And the revelation level where the Holy Spirit opens up my eyes to see more, to see things that I would not have seen otherwise. And we've seen a number of cases in this where revelation came. Of course, when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, and the eyes of those that were with him were opened. That's the kind of revelation level that would be there. And Jesus saying to his disciples, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. We need to pursue a revelation level or a wisdom level on all the things that we have. A flesh level or a reasoning level will hinder you and hold you back. In verse 1 of chapter 42, let's begin reading there. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, we know that the famine is worldwide. We are not as clear on the prosperity. Did the surplus hit all the lands? Did it just hit some of the lands? Did it just hit the land of Egypt? We're not real told about that because the vision is more for Pharaoh and what Egypt was supposed to be doing. But it does mention that the, the famine would be worldwide. And this is going to affect Canaan. In that land, whether Canaan enjoyed some of the prosperity that had come from the years of plenty, we don't know. Uh, if that was the case, maybe they could have put some of it away, stored some of it, and not have been in um, the dire needs that they were. Maybe they took all their grain that they grew and they converted it into some other form that is now money, because money doesn't seem to be an issue for them. It's just that the grain is. So... Joseph said the brothers are looking around. They're, I guess they're farming. They're doing stuff, but it's not yielding anything because it's the time of famine. And so they're looking at each other, I guess, trying to figure out what to do. And Jacob comes in and he says, why are you standing around here looking at each other? Go on down to Egypt. They got some stuff there. Now, he says two different things. First off, he says in verse 1 um, that when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. So the first thing it says is that he saw that there was grain in Egypt. In verse 2, it says, Indeed, I have heard that there was grain in Egypt. So did he see or did he hear? Well, it would seem that both could be the case because it could be that that he sees people coming with grain. And so he simply asked them, Where did you get the grain? And they said, From Egypt. So he saw and then he heard. Just because you see people come with grain doesn't mean you know where it came from. But when they would speak out, this is where it came from, this is where we were, then he heard. So he told him, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Perhaps the brothers don't know this. Maybe they weren't as uh, inquisitive. Maybe they didn't talk to as many people. Don't know. But he, he knows about it and he tells them, go on down. In verse 3, so Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. 
Now Jacob had no problem sending Joseph on a trip that was long to check on his brothers. Joseph was 17 at the time of that trip. Benjamin is more than likely older than that now. Now again, we're not quite sure whether Benjamin was born before he went into slavery or after. But if we, if we just take that he was, uh, he was born shortly after Joseph was taken into slavery. Well, he was down into slavery in Egypt for 13 years before he was elevated to this position. And then there were seven years of surplus. So seven and thirteen, that's twenty years. Now it may be a year into the famine before they run out of stuff and have to send anybody. Don't know exactly. But more than likely, Benjamin is older than Joseph was at the time that he sent Joseph on the trip. And he had already sent Joseph on other trips before that we, uh, we found out. So it doesn't seem that age is a factor, but he has become more protective of Benjamin than he was of Joseph. And this has been very clear. But can you imagine your father coming to you and saying, all right, you ten, you go on down to Egypt and buy us grain. Benjamin's staying here because I think something bad might happen to him. Well, is there any way that you could hear that without taking to, to the account? It doesn't matter if anything bad happens to us. I don't know if there's any way that you can hear that other than that. But it's okay for, for um, us to get hurt for us to have calamity, but not for Benjamin. But they just seem to take it in stride, so they're apparently used to this favoritism. Of course, they didn't like it with Joseph, but uh, they seem to just kind of take this in stride. Maybe they just expect it. Yeah, yeah, I know, Benjamin's your favorite. All right, we'll keep him here. <laughs> Whatever it might be. But they go ahead and they make the trip. So they went to buy grain, and they make the journey down there. Uh, but Jacob is very free about speaking his fears. Well, I can just see some kind of bad thing happening to him and I just don't want him to go. He's not a very a very big faith man when it comes to the safety of his favorite kids. I wrote in your outline that fear often shapes our behavior, our speech, thoughts, and actions. And it shouldn't be that way. Our faith should shape these things, not our fears. But with Jacob, we see that his fear is shaping these things. Now, remember in Genesis fifteen thirteen, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. So God had stated this. He doesn't state the reasons for it, the purpose for it. He just says this is what's going to happen. I'll put this in your outline for you if you want to fill this in. Often we will only do what God wants or has planned because of our need, not because of His leading. They want to stay here in the land of Canaan. They know the words that God spoke to Abraham. If God would say, I want you all to move over to Egypt or I want you all to move over to this other land, they probably would have resisted it. But because of their need, we know the end result of this is that they all pack up and they move for Egypt. But the only reason they go is because they have a need. It is far better for us if we are not just moved by needs, but if we're moved by His leading. If He says, if He tells us, go over here and do this, we go over there and do it, not just because we have a need. Now, the I didn't give you the history behind this Pharaoh that Joseph worked for. And I wanted to go back and just make sure that you understand that. There's a reason why this particular pharaoh probably entrusted the kingdom to a foreigner. Um, before Joseph had ever come into the area of Egypt, there had been a large number of Asiatic, Semitic slaves that came into Egypt, mostly in the Delta region or the Goshen region. These uh, became... Uh, this is the word they put here for Hyksos land owners and formed a political union. And at a weak point in Egypt, political uh, they, they uh, took political power. They overthrew the throne and the Hyksos pharaoh was installed. And this is why the pharaoh may have been so willing to install Joseph. He was, uh, because this guy is a foreigner. So you're going to look at this for a little while you're going to have basically a foreign pharaoh running Egypt. He's not Egyptian. The pharaoh that Joseph works for is not Egyptian. 
when the Word of God says, and a Pharaoh came to the throne that knew not Joseph, is when an Egyptian began to run the country again. He took the throne. And this, uh, these foreigners were kicked out of the ruling area. And once again, an Egyptian was back in, in line. This is some of the hostility that you see between the Egyptians and the Israelites because of, of this foreign involvement that had been in there with the, with the um, pharaohs. But the pharaoh that he is under is not Egyptian. Now, he's adopted Egyptian uh, tactics and so forth, and that's why Joseph had to come and get cleaned up uh, as an Egyptian would. But he is, he is still not Egyptian. So anyway, just wanted to give you that history. Verse 6, Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger. Now, it's been probably over 20 years since he's seen his brothers. 20, 21, maybe, 20, maybe at the most 22 since he's seen his brothers. You know that a lot of changing can go on in there, but you can still recognize people. You can still see some, some things. Plus, the, he came in with a certain number, and maybe he heard some of their names. But he recognized them. Jesus saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. Now, it said in verse 6 that it was he who sold to all the people of the land. Joseph set this up so that he would be the one who sells to the people of the land. Now, he may have some other folks who, who he gave charge of, but you got to know that Joseph has his dream in mind. And he's got to make sure that when his family comes to buy food, he sees them. He doesn't want someone else seeing them. He doesn't want them to get missed. He wants to see them. So this is why he has set it up that they have to come to him. So there are probably, or at least possibly, certain regions of the world that if people came from them, then he would send them to others to uh, to deal with the food. But the land of Canaan, if anyone came from the land of Canaan, if anyone came from this region, then they have to come through me. Or maybe it was that he would look over all the ones that would come to buy, and he would say, all right, you go over here and you go over here. Because I don't know that Joseph would have been able to do all the administrative stuff and sold every single one that came through. But he made sure he was involved because he is looking out for when the brothers come. I think he fully expects these brothers to come, whether it be one, two, five, six, whatever numbers it would be there. But he's got all ten that are there. And he sees them, but he pretends that he's a stranger. Now, Joseph doesn't look like he did before. His hair is probably cut differently. He doesn't have a beard. He's Egyptian, so he has all that shaved off. He has Egyptian clothes on. He's not speaking Hebrew. The brothers are not expecting to see him. He is expecting to see them. He is looking for them because he has this dream. He knows, I've got to see with these brothers. They are going to come. They're going to buy the food. He's got this part of it, at least this part of it figured out. So he sees his brother, he recognizes them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Now, if you are one of the Egyptians that's around Joseph, you're going to notice something very different. Joseph is dealing with these people different than he has dealt with anyone else. This is out of character for Joseph. This is not the way Joseph normally acts towards. Why is Joseph doing this? Now, you may be thinking that, but you probably don't say anything to Joseph because Joseph is second in the land. And so there's a little bit of a fear thing that goes on there. And I'm not going to question him, but maybe among themselves and say, what is up with these? Why does he think that these guys are so suspicious? I put in your outline that the true test of character is not when you some is not when someone more powerful is abusive to you, but when you now have the power. That's really where you see your character. It is not your character is not as much demonstrated when people are abusing you. Though Joseph's character did come out when people were abusing him, when people were uh, not acting kindly to him, you still saw that character. But now you're really going to see it when they've got power to come back and to get you. 
that's when you see that character come out. Most people tested by God were abused by power before they had it over their abusers. David was abused by Saul before he had power over him. Remember, two times God delivered Saul into David's hands. He had power over him. What would David do? So before they had that power over their abusers, they were first off abused by that power. Character someone has said that is what we are in the dark. Joseph here, he's keeping his brothers basically in the dark until their character could be revealed. They don't know the, that Joseph walks in the light as far as they are concerned. He can understand them. He can, he can uh, hear what they're saying. But it says here, I said verse 8, Joseph, remember the dream, especially verse 9 that that, that occurred. Now, the dream was just about him ruling. He could be proud right now. He could punish them with all this power that he's got. But you see, there was a greater purpose. And the dream pushed him to discover it. He needed to discover what this was. Just as with Scripture, you can make the words of God mean anything that you want. But God wants us to pursue the understanding and to get to His purpose. Not one that just satisfies us. Not one that just meets my needs. Many times people will take the Word of God and they go against what Paul taught. Don't let Scripture be a private interpretation. Well, that means this to me. I don't know what it means to you, but this means this to me. And that's how I live it. Now, there is no private interpretation. You don't have your own truth. Now, here, get this one. This is an important principle. A lesser understanding discovered leads to a lower purpose harvested. A lesser understanding discovered leads to a lower purpose harvested. If I get a lesser understanding of what God is trying to show me, what God is trying to reveal to me, what God is trying to get across to me, if I come out with a lower understanding than what God has... I will have a subpar harvest. I will have a lower purpose in the harvest than what God intended. God intends a certain purpose. He intends a certain thing to go on. Remember the disciples when Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Well, they had a lower level understanding of what he said. It's because we took no bread. So they didn't get the meaning. And Jesus says to them, Really? That's the understanding you come out with? That because you have no bread? How many basketfuls did you have when we fed the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you have when you fed the 4,000? And you still don't get it? See, he expected them to, to understand differently. Then they understood that he was talking about the teaching or the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So then they got the higher purpose that was there. But if I settle for a lesser understanding of Scripture, if I settle for a lesser understanding of a vision or a calling or whatever it is that God is trying to get across for me. If I settle for a lesser understanding, if I don't press in and get it, I will have a lower purpose in the harvest. And that's not what God intended. If if uh, Joseph stayed with the meaning that most Christians teach about his dreams, if he stayed with the meaning that his brothers had of this dream, if he stayed with the meaning that his father had with this dream, if he would have just stayed at that level, the harvest that we're going to see in these next chapters would never have come. But he pressed in to discover something greater. Verse 10. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your younger brother, youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, and your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. This is all set out with a purpose. Why would you put 
people that you think are spies, why would you put them all together in the prison? When you watch the crime show novels, when you or the, the, the shows on TV, why do they put criminals in the same room? So they can talk. They can talk to each other. As they talk to each other, they reveal things. All you got to do is put a little bit of pressure on them. And when you put that little bit of pressure on, they begin to reveal things. They begin to talk to each other. And they think no one can understand them. So they're going to speak freely to each other. And we can squeeze some things out. So we're going to put them all into the same room. Let's see what they're made of. Let's see what's going on here. And he was very harsh with them. He's putting pressure on them. Now Joseph's harshness is not out of vengeance. It is intended to produce pressure. You see, under pressure, this is where what we conceal is revealed. You can conceal your fear until you're put under pressure. And then your fear comes out. You see, you, you could say, I have no fear of thunderstorms. And you can say that to all the people in nice weather. And then the thunderstorm comes up. <clears throat> and what happens? That puts pressure. The pressure comes on. Oh, now we got that pressure being applied. I can say I don't have any fear of dogs. But then one is starting to charge me. Now the pressure's on. You see, when the pressure comes on, what I'm trying to conceal, it will become revealed. And this is what Joseph is doing. He is putting pressure on the brothers to reveal what's inside. He's been away from them for 20 years. He hasn't seen them. He doesn't know what's going on with them. Let's put some pressure on them. For some, pressure reveals truth instead of lies. They've lied about what they believe. They've lied about what they're doing. They've lied about this. They've lied about that. But you put some pressure on them and then all of a sudden the truth comes out. Just like in the crime show that you watch. Uh, they're all lying. No, I didn't have any part of that. No, I didn't do that. No, I didn't. And they get some pressure on. Yeah, but we got this. We got this. We got this. We got this. We got you. You put some pressure on and then begin to sing. Then they begin to talk, talk. You see, that pressure brought the truth out before they were trying to just bring out lies. That pressure can reveal fear instead of faith. That pressure can reveal questioning instead of confidence. See, some Christians, they go around, they, they walk around like they have all this confidence, all this faith, all this confidence. You put some pressure on them, and then all of a sudden they squeal like little pigs. They don't have that, that confidence. They're afraid. They're scared. They're unsure. That's what pressure will do. Now, no matter how you look at this, this story here in this chapter, no matter how you look at this, you can look at it ten different ways. But no matter how you look at this, this situation is not the first dream. Joseph remembered his dreams, but this is not the first dream. What is the first dream? The first dream is 11 brothers coming and bowing down. Now that kind of tells us that more than likely uh, Benjamin was born, but also he said the father and mother in the second dream. And that would seem to indicate that Benjamin wasn't born because both don't exist at the same time. We went over that before. But the first dream that God gave him is not ten brothers coming and bowing down. The first dream is eleven brothers. Very specific. This is not the first dream. We have not gotten to the first dream. We are only sometime before that. Joseph knows we have to get to the point of the first dream. So Joseph has orchestrated all this for the purpose of having all 11 here. Joseph does not reveal who he is because if Joseph reveals who he is, we never get to the first dream. You will never get to 11 brothers coming and bowing down. You would go right to the father coming on down with the sons. Because if his father hears that Joseph is alive, what's his father going to do? He's coming. You see, the whole thing would have been blown apart. If he does not pursue the meaning of the dream, if he just took the shallow meaning that so many people teach about this, that, well, you're going to be a ruler. That's all he took out of it. We never would have seen this come about. But see, Joseph knew what to do. We're not here yet. This is 10. I need to get to the first dream. The first dream is 
11 brothers coming. We're not there. We're at 10. Joseph knows I have to get to that spot. I got to get to 11 brothers. So this is not the first dream. If he doesn't get to that first dream, God's purpose would not have been achieved. He would not have achieved the purpose that God had, the higher purpose. Now, he puts them in prison, right? What prison do you think he put them in? <laughs> I, we, we don't know this from the, from the text, but I'll bet when we get up there and we talk to Joseph about it, Joseph, what prison that you put them in? How many want to believe that it's probably Potiphar's prison? And does Joseph still have influence in Potiphar's prison? Does Joseph still know people in Potiphar's prison? More than likely, he does. So if he puts them into this prison, he can get people in there to let him know what's going on with the ten brothers. I'm going to put them in. I'm going to put them all into one cell. Tell me what they say. And he may have put somebody in there who could interpret. Taken, maybe he took uh, one of the interpreters from there. He's already got one here. He's speaking to him through an interpreter. So there's probably other interpreters they have that would speak this language. He probably says, look, I need you to, to sit in the cell next to him. And whatever they say, tell it to this person. They're going to get word out there to me. Joseph is setting all this up. He has got this thing ready. So they are put in prison for three days thinking that only one of them will go back. If only one of them goes back, well, their purpose for coming down is they're starving. They're, they're just about ready to run out of food. And they've got a big crowd over there. They don't have just a couple of people. They've got a big crowd. All the brothers, they all have wives. And there's probably daughters. And they have children. And they have servants. And they have cattle. They need a lot of grain. So if we're only sending one son back, how much stuff is he bringing? Well, he probably will bring as much as he one person can carry, but uh, or one can, you know one person can bring along with the camels and whatever else he's, he's got. But he's he can only take so much back. So we're only going to be bringing back a limited amount of stuff. They're thinking about all these things. The rest of us are going to stay here. One of us is going. Well, which one ought to go? Why ought to go? <laughs> Maybe this kind of a fight stirred up. But look here at verse 18. Then Joseph said to them the third day. There's that third day thing again. Do this and live, for I fear God. Very interesting statement he makes here to them. When it's, when this says here, when it is written in our Bibles, this is how it says, I fear Elohim. That's how it's written. Now I cannot for anything tell you what Joseph said. I can only tell you what's written. Joseph spoke in Egyptian. The interpreter spoke to the brothers. This is one of those places I want to get to the videotape and I want to, I said, I just watch, I just want to watch what's going on. Does Joseph speak in Egyptian and use the word Elohim? Does he use something in the, uh, in the Egyptian and tells the interpreter, when I say this, use the word Elohim. Now Elohim is plural. It is a plural form of Eloah. Eloah is singular. The uh, Elohim, which you know we've, we've seen this used of God, there's many places in the Word of God. If you just do a search, you're going to find out many places where this is, is done. Genesis is filled with this word being used. It means God's in the ordinary sense, but specifically used in the plural, especially with the article of the supreme God. So when it is used in the plural, Elohim, with the article, it is particularly talking about the Supreme God, occasionally applied by way of deference to magistrates and sometimes as a superlative angels. Now again, keep in mind, Joseph is speaking through an interpreter. I think my thought is, when we get there and we'll watch the videotape, 
I think he pulled the interpreter aside and he said, I'm going to say this. When I say this, you use this phraseology. I want you to use the word Elohim. Of all the things he could have used, this might have got their attention. I fear Elohim. Hmm. They may have had some debate about that. What did he mean when he said, I fear God? I bet you they spent some time on the way home debating about, remember when he said that? What do you think he meant? Why do you think he said, and he had a change of heart. He was going to keep all of us in the prison. Now he, he only kept one. Now remember this, just as Joseph sat in the pit awaiting his fate, they sat in the, pr- in the prison awaiting theirs. He had them sit in that prison a little bit longer. <clears throat> it doesn't seem that this is a payback. But he sure seems to want to get them to flash back to the things that were going on and it does seem to be successful. When they flash back and this pressure is being put on, he squeezed out all kinds of thoughts and fears about that day. And Joseph heard it. Verse 19, If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses. He's being sensitive. I understand you got some people to feed up there, so I'm going to let all of you go except for one. And bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, his this distress has come upon us. They are convinced that the reason that all this has come about is because of what they did to Joseph. We saw him in the pit. We heard his cries. We didn't extend mercy to, for him. And now we are not being extended mercy ourselves. And Reuben answered them saying, Did I not speak to you saying, Do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Therefore behold, his blood is not required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter. Well, that squeezed out some stuff, didn't it? This is done right in their in their presence. So they seem to be associating what happens now with what happened on that day when they threw Joseph into the pit. Verse 24, And he turned himself away from them and wept. And then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So we don't know if the brothers picked or if Joseph did. So again, when we go to the videotape, remember heaven, we'll be able to figure that out. We'll be able to watch. My supposition is that Joseph picked Simeon. Now, at the time that Joseph was was sold into slavery, Reuben was not around. Reuben had gone off. Remember, Reuben came back and found that the boy was gone and he was in anguish. He's gone. This is my ticket back as a to get back in good graces with my father. Um, the person who would have been in charge in Reuben's absence, Reuben was the oldest. The person in charge was Simeon. And he picked him. Now, of all the people to pick, he picked the oldest son who was present on the day when Joseph was sold into slavery. They're tying all this other stuff into the event. Don't you think that spoke to them? This guy doesn't even know what happened. He wasn't even there. He has no idea what's going on. But he picked, out of all ten of us, he picked the one guy who was the most responsible for that day. That had to say something to them. So I think Joseph was the one who picked him. And so he let them watch and they put, uh, they, they bound them before their eyes, took him off into his, into the prison. Verse uh, 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain to restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. Alright, now, he's telling these servants that are here, these servants that are watching him be very harsh with these ten brothers. Lock them up in prison for three days. And then he tells them, look, give them their money back. Fill their, fill their supplies with grain. Give them all the grain that they came for. But give them the money back. 
if you're one of the servants, would you call this into question? Wait, you're, you, you think they're spies. You locked them up in prison. Now we're going to give them all the grain they wanted. And we give them their money back. But nobody's going to question Joseph. Joseph is second in charge of the land. But they had to talk among themselves. Surely this had to call the, cause them to talk among themselves. So they loaded donkeys with grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened a sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money and there it was in the mouth of a sack. So, you know, they, they stopped at the first encampment. They got to camp out. There's no hotels, you know, no Motel 6 to pull in. You got to just uh, get a campsite and then you got to go around and feed the animals that are carrying back all the stuff. So he goes in there and one of them, one of them, not all of them, one of them saw the money in the mouth of a sack. It seems that Joseph had told them not just to put the money in the sack, take one of them and put it in the mouth of the sack and take the other ones and bury it. Because all of them would have taken some of the grain out of their sack and given it to the to the animals to eat them, for, for them to eat. But only one saw. Doesn't tell us which one. But one, one saw it in the mouth of a sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. And their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Now, if you went to the store and you, you were buying your groceries and you paid cash. Not everybody does that anymore, but you know, if you paid cash and then you got home and you found out that the cashier put the money back in your bag. Most of us, that wouldn't cause fear. We'd say, well, glory to God, I got money in my bag. I know I gave the cashier the money. I know I put it in their hands. I saw them put it into the register. How this money got here, I don't know. It looks like the same money I gave them. And you would probably be be glad. Maybe you might call down to the store and say, hey, <clears throat> if anything is off, I had some money in my bag. No, no, don't worry about it. But for them, it caused them fear. So for the rest of the way, they're in, they're fe- they're in fear about this. And they're talking about it. Oh, man. They're going to think that we stole it. They already think we're spies. And now we come back and one of our sacks of money came back with us. Surely they're going to think we stole this money. Oh, man, how can we go back and get more? We know, you know we have to go back and get more. You know we have to go back to get Simeon. You know we have to go back and bring Benjamin. How are we going to bring Benjamin back? And they think that not only are we spies, but we're thieves. Oh, how are we going to... And so it produced fear on the inside of them. See, the unknown produces fear, especially among people that are not in faith. we got to get to the place where even though I don't know what's out there ahead, I have trust that God is taking care of things, that God is watching over, and I'm not going to be concerned about it. Stop getting all worried and fretful about the things that haven't even happened yet. But this is what they're doing. They're, they have already envisioned themselves coming back and them having a whole group of people there. As soon as they walk into the city to buy food, they're going to be arrested and they're all going to be thrown into prison. They just know it. So they're talking about this. They're feeding these fears all the way on home. What is this that God has done to us? Now, is Joseph's motivation for giving their money back a test of their greed for money? Because remember, they sold him for money. Are we testing whether they're still greedy for money? Is it a test of their honesty? Is it just a way to put more pressure on them to see what squeezes out? Or is it that he just didn't want to sell them anything? He wanted to freely provide for their needs. Well, we don't know from this. We'll have to ask Joseph when we get to heaven. But whatever his purpose was, it sure turned out to be a big test for them, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, this, this caused them all kinds of problems. This put more pressure on them and more stuff just got squeezed out. The unknown can cause our minds to think the worst when the unexpected occurs. The unknown can cause our minds to think the worst when the unexpected occurs. 
we become worried, fearful about things that are not in our control. Don't be worried and fearful about things that you can't control. This is what they were doing. Verse 29, And they went to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies for the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your household and be gone. Bring your youngest brother to me so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land. So they recount the whole experience of Jacob. And they they tell him what had gone on. Probably gave him a little bit more detail than what we just heard. But it's just written down, you know, the general aspect of it. We know the there were greater detail and they probably recounted it in in greater detail. Verse 35, Then it happened, as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack, and when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me, Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Now what this tells you, this is not in the narrative, but Again, I, t- I tell you this all the time. When you read these stories, you've got to put yourself in the place there as you read the story and envision the things going on around you. And you'll see other stuff. I want to prove this when we get to the videotape, but I'm going to tell you this is probably what happened. They get there. They all arrive at the same time. And they pull all the animals into the barns where they're at. And the father says they're home. He comes on out to meet them to see how things have gone and what's going on. And so they are recounting all this to the father as they are unloading their animals. And they're talking to the father as they're unloading things. Have you ever done that? Gone to the store, have a bunch of stuff, and as uh, uh, you know, you maybe uh, uh, wife goes out and goes shopping, picks up some things, and the husband hears comes home, and they both go out and they start bringing the things that are out in the car and bringing them in. And what happens while you're doing all that? Aren't you recounting? Oh, you should have seen what happened at the store. Oh, you should have seen what happened. Oh, this was going on. And we begin to recount things as we're, we're carrying these things. This is probably the same thing that's happened to them. They're unloading. They're taking the grain that they brought back and they're putting it into the places where they would store it at and then go in and get the others. And as they are doing this and as they are recounting all this to them, the father's sitting there and he's listening to them, they all of a sudden uncover that there's bundles of money in everyone's sacks. Everyone. Not just one. Before they got to the first stop, there was one. Now they find out that all of them was there. That's why I tell you that one of the brothers had it on top. The rest of them, they put it in the bottom so that they wouldn't see it and they wouldn't find it until they got home. Joseph is thinking about this. Let's let them see one and then after they develop that fear or whatever is going on, then we'll let him see the rest of it. It would seem that that would be in his thinking. And so Jacob, the father, he waits until all this is done and then the money shows up. You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. No, Simeon's just in prison. But the father's already written him off. No, he's dead. Yep, he's dead. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. So he's already he's already willing to give up Simeon, but not to give up Benjamin. Well, that's just Simeon. That's that's fine. We'll we'll sacrifice Simeon. All right, I already lost Joseph. I'm not losing Benjamin. Can you can you imagine having a father who's going to do that? You're thinking, well, if I was the one who was left down there, you wouldn't come back for me either, would you? And Reuben spoke to his father, saying, "This is the oldest, but he's already." fallen out of favor with his father because of the things that uh, that had happened past saying kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you well that's telling a grandfather to kill his grandsons I mean do you think that's really going to happen but Reuben is trying to show that he's, he's being serious look I'll go and if I don't come back you can kill my two sons and end my, end my uh, legacy 
He says, kill my two sons if I do not bring back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead and he is left alone. Just speaking of Joseph. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. I don't care if any of you die. I'll be, I'll still can, I can still survive. <laughs> not if I lose Benjamin. Boy, that has got to have an effect upon them. And so, he is not willing to let them go back. He's not, he is not going to send them back. The dream is 11 sons. 11 sons come and bow down. Joseph is awaiting for the 11 sons or the 11 brothers. And the father's not willing to send them. He's not willing that any of them should go. Now later on, he's going to be willing to send nine. I'll send, but I won't send Benjamin. You all go. And they said, nope, we aren't going. If you don't send us with Benjamin, we aren't going because he made it real clear. If we don't come with Benjamin, we get nothing. So if you want food, and the only reason that he even got to that spot is because they were almost out of food. Now understand, he cannot, he can't do this because, well, they only got enough food for one day. The pressure is building. They know how much grain they go through in a day. They know how much grain they have left. The brothers are probably coming in. Dad, we've only got two months supply left. You know it takes a week to get down there. It'll take us a week to get back. And then we got to go through whatever we have to do with him. Or whatever the, the time frame would be. And he says, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Let's just see if this famine ends. And he's waiting and waiting. And eventually they get to the point where we barely have enough time to get down there and to bring the, the stuff back. If we don't go, everybody dies. Benjamin dies. Everybody dies. We've got to go. And we're not going without Benjamin. And the father is hardly willing to send them. He's forced to. See, the pressure is on. Because of the pressure, he's going to go ahead and do it. Now, Joseph is probably wondering how the brothers will respond to the blatant favoritism. Because he knows the favoritism is still going on. These ten came. Benjamin's at home. Why is Benjamin home? Because he's the favorite. We know how dad is protecting him. So he knows this is going to put this the, the pressure on here. If the brothers have anything going on with that favoritism thing, if they're going to mean any harm to, to Benjamin, it's going to come out. This pressure is going to bring it out. For us, the pressure we come under shows God we are ready to move on or we still need more time. You're going to be involved in some pressure situations. There's going to be some times when the pressure just seems to be intense. And God is watching. Let's see what comes out. As that pressure comes down upon us, it's going to put the squeeze on. Will that squeeze pull out of you faith, confidence, patience? Will it pull these things out? Or are we going to see something different? And if God sees something different, He says, well, we've got to keep them in the oven a little bit longer. We still need to, to get some of these qualities baked into them. But when that pressure comes on and we come out of there with faith, we come out of there with patience, we come out of there with joy, we come out of there with the qualities that He expects us to have, all right, He says, it's time for us to move on. But as we move up in our calling, what is now a pressure-filled time will become normal life. The more you move up in your calling to the things of God, what you feel right now, this is high pressure. Oh man, this is, this is intense. That's going to be everyday life. You're going to get used to it. It's just like when you watch the little kids grow up and they get involved in a situation. Oh, it's, it's busting them up. Oh, they're so upset. Oh, they're, they're traumatized. And you're thinking, this is what you're thinking inside. You don't say it. But you're thinking it. Honey, just wait till you get older. Just wait till you get out there in the real world. You want to say that. Maybe some parents have actually said that to them. But you know, when they're in, in grade school and they go through some of this, this trauma, you know, somebody said something mean to them on the, on the playground. 
and you're thinking, hmm, why do you get something mean to said to you in the workplace? Why do you get a boss who's abusive to you? Why do you see what the world is like when you, when you get out there? And you're thinking that, but for them, this is high pressure. And you're thinking, that wouldn't even be a, a little bit of pressure for you. But you see, the, what we feel as pressure right now, if we keep moving up in the things of God, it'll be nothing. It'll be normal life. You look at some of these guys like uh, uh, Ken Copeland. Um, you look at people like um, uh, Fred Price and uh, um, Creflo Dollar, uh, Brother Hagin. When they were just small, when Brother Hagin just had a pastor, pastor in a church, when um, Creflo Dollar just had a little church, when Fred Price just had a little church, there was so, there was some pressure on them. You know, they could feel pressure from a $500 electric bill. But as things got, got bigger, that pressure increased. Now the daily needs of those ministries that they have is, uh, is, is much larger. And a $500 credit, uh, $500 electric bill, that's, that's nothing. They don't even feel that pressure anymore. Because they're so used to what they're, what they're walking in. See, that's what God wants to get you used to. I gotta get you used to this kind of pressure, because the enemy is gonna constantly put pressure on you when you start to move into things that I have. It has to become normal. Do you see your pressure situations as harshness from God? Or can you get past this lower understanding and see the opportunity to change what's on the inside of you? That's up to us. People with lower understandings of things, they just see pressure in their situation. Well, this is just God being harsh. Well, God's just not treating me fair. Well, things just aren't quite the way they ought to be. It's not, I don't deserve this. It's not fair that this comes down upon me. An opportunity to replace fear with faith. An opportunity to replace confidence with questioning. An opportunity to replace truth with things that are false on the inside of us. And now here we see that there are three different responses to the adversity that this family is facing. For Joseph, his suffering was from his brother's selfishness, but at the, but the hand of God was always with him. He never blamed God. He never got mad at God. He, he knew this came at the hands of the brothers. But even when he finally comes to the point and he confronts his brothers, he said, you meant this for evil, but God turned this around. God used this for some good. And he never looked at the situation. We never see him complaining. We never see him uh, with anything but faith coming out of his mouth. That's how one person had faced the adversity that was in his life. For the brothers, their suffering was punishment from an angry God. This God was getting even with them for their sin. He's just looking for any opportunity. And finally, after 20 years, he's found an opportunity to get even with these guys. And now God is coming against us. See, that's a lower understanding of what God is doing. And it's affected what they're going to do for you from, from here on out. You cannot have these low-level understandings. You've got to press in and get the higher ones. Because it's going to affect you. And then there's Jacob. He's the worst of the bunch. The suffering was either the hand of fate or the stupidity of his sons that made his life miserable. You don't know what it, which one it is, but it's one of them. And he's just over there, boo-hoo, oh me, oh me. He's not concerned about Simeon. Oh, poor Simeon, Simeon's in jail. No, oh, poor me. I might lose Benjamin. Oh, I've got to suffer with all this sort of stuff. What a low place to walk. And this is certainly a, a weak spot for him. Thing is, God was with, was with each group. He was with Jacob, he was with the brothers, and he was with Joseph. But only Joseph saw the hand of God. The others came up with much lower understandings of their situations and therefore didn't get the purpose. This is why God in this situation is dealing with the family through Joseph. God is not dealing with this family to fix this family through the father, Jacob. Can't. Jacob is not in a position to do it. He's not dealing it through the oldest son, Reuben. He's not in a position to do it. He's not dealing with them through the second oldest son, Simeon. He is dealing with the family through Joseph. Joseph is basically at this point, as far as God is seeing, 
Joseph is the head of the family. And he is dealing with Joseph. And he gave him the dream. Because he know, Joseph, you're going to be in a head position and you are going to be the one that I'm going to be working through. And Joseph had to press in to find out what all that meant. Now, just as the brothers were willing to sell Joseph for their own personal benefit, Jacob would sell any of them for his own benefit, including Simeon. Where do you think the brothers got it from? They got it from their father. They picked up that idea that we can sell out Joseph for our own personal benefit because they saw it in the father. And here we see it come out. Now, Joseph could have misused his power for personal benefit, but he didn't. He used it to benefit others. He used it to benefit the brothers. The first step toward pride and misuse of power is to forget the source of where your power came from. Don't forget the source. If we forget the source, we overlook the responsibility that came with it. We overlook the fact that we were made stewards with that power over something. We cannot forget these things. See, in the same way our government, power comes from the people. That's just stated in our Constitution. The power comes from the people. It doesn't come from the government. They don't empower themselves. The people empower them. Those in those positions of power have forgotten this because they've forgotten that they abused the power. They abused the power that they have been given. I didn't get this in your outline, but I wrote this down. Power in the hands of a servant is a blessed thing, but power in the hands of a tyrant is evil. Joseph is a servant leader. Power in his hands, this will bless people. Power in the hands of tyrants is evil. That's why we see so many countries that have tyrants and the power is used for evil. That's not the direction that we need to go. We've had many people in the history of our country who served this country with a servant's attitude. They gave up everything they had in order for our country to be a country. I heard that every single person who signed their name on the Declaration of Independence lost their fortune, lost their homes, they lost children, their families were put in... in um, uh, prison. They were captured. They were targeted by the British. They targeted the families of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. When they came upon their houses, they made sure to burn them to the ground. They don't have insurance to cover these things. They killed all the things of theirs that they could find. They wanted to make life terrible for them. But see, they served as servants. They didn't get rich off of it. They knew that it was better for the people. So, so many of them lost everything that they had in order for us to to be there. Now we look at people that are in government and they get rich. They use their power to get rich. They come out of there far richer than they ever went in. and Far richer than just their salary would have gotten there because they're doing things with their power to bring this about. That's not how power is supposed to be used. It's not how Joseph uses it, but it is how some people do use it. Now, we get into the next chapter. We're going to see the brothers are going to be sent back. And then the next chapter, we see the first dream. The first dream becomes a reality. And then we see what is going on. And we'll see what, what happens. But can you see that the, the low-level understanding of Joseph is going to be a ruler? would have never gotten to the purpose of what we're here for. See, this family needs to be fixed. This is the family that God is going to bless. He's going to bless them all through this this family. And this family is messed up. And it's got to be fixed. And God is using Joseph. And so God used this dream to show Joseph a plan of how to fix his family. And that's what he had a person to find. Well, Father, we thank you that just as you gave Joseph a plan and a purpose for things that were to come, but he had to press in to discover the meaning behind the dreams 
And I thank you that he did. Because he was able to help fix this family. To be the family through whom you blessed all the earth. We thank you for that. We thank you that we too can press in and discover a greater purpose, a greater understanding. That if we just settle for what is on the surface, we'll not accomplish what God has for us. We'll not press into what God wants us to press into. We'll give up. We'll blame. We won't see what we need to see. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.